While kneeling by her bedside in a cottage on a hill, my mother prayed a blessing on me there. She was talking there to Jesus while everything was still, and I heard my mother call my name in prayer. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. She was pouring out her heart to Jesus there. Then I gave my heart to him, and he saved my soul from sin. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. She was anxious for her boy to be just what he ought to be. And she asked the Lord to take him in his care. Just the word I can't remember, but I know she prayed for me. And I heard my mother call my name in prayer. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. She was pouring out her heart to Jesus there. Then I gave my heart to him, and he saved my soul from sin. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. Then I gave my heart to Jesus, and I'm living now for him. And someday I'll go to meet him in the air. For he heard my mother praying, and he saved my soul from sin. Yes, he heard my mother call my name in prayer. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. She was pouring out her heart to Jesus there. Then I gave my heart to him, and he saved my soul from sin. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. She was pouring out her heart to Jesus there. Then I gave my heart to him, and he saved my soul from sin. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. Yes, I heard my mother call my name in prayer. Amen. Thank you so much. What a great song. And a great and well done song. Let's put it that way. Okay, even though it's Mother's Day, um, I want to stay on the topic that we've been on the last few weeks, and that's heaven. And uh, actually, I'm going to finish up what we started last week, talking about heaven. Uh, being, and, and in heaven, God has a perfect reward system. God has a perfect reward system. And I know many of us have a hard time maybe expecting or understanding that God rewards people other than the fact that we're in heaven, that just seeing Jesus is enough. Well, that is an amazing thing, and that is going to be enough. But he speaks about rewards, and therefore uh, we need to continue to understand what rewards are. And because it's so important that uh, this, is, this is the time that we should start thinking about this, because right now we're still alive on this planet Earth. We still have breath in our life, and we're still able to do things that are rewardable. If we say, no, well, we'll, we'll just wait until we get there, well, guess what? too late. <laughs> if you wait till you get there, it's too late to do anything, right? And now you might say, oh my goodness, we, had, we could have been rewarded. We could have been, think, think could have been uh, more. 
And I'm telling you right now, they can be. Because God's word is very clear. It's very plain. He's given us very good instruction in his word. And we need to study it. We need to get in and understand what it says. And then we need to begin to start to apply it. So it sounds like a really good idea to do that right now, doesn't it? Yeah, that we would understand God's word the best that we can about rewards. Now, over the past few weeks, we've laid a pretty solid foundation that all people, all people, including Christians, are going to be judged two times. Two times. The first time is going to come immediately after you die. You take your last breath, and there's an immediate judgment coming as to, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? There is no purgatory. There is no waiting period. There is no time in between. You take one breath here, your last breath here, and you're immediately ushered into eternity, whether it's in the streets of heaven or in the pits of hell. That's judgment number one. And the, the premise for that judgment is only this. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with the blood of Christ? Have you applied it in your life or not? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you made him your Lord? Have you said, I'm sorry for my sin? Have you said, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe in what you did, and I believe that what you did on the cross was purposely, intentionally for me. And I accept that. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. That's it. That gets you to heaven. And if, it's, if you don't do that, then if you reject that same message, then you go to hell. But it's your choice. You're making the choice, and you make the choice right now. You decide right now as to that first judgment. That's a judgment of faith. It's a judgment of your belief. That's the first judgment. And every man, every woman will have that judgment. Now, after that, there's a second judgment. There's a judgment for believers, and there's a judgment for unbelievers. And this judgment comes a little bit later um, in the context of eternity. The judgment of believers will happen probably during the tribulation period and that seven-year period of time between the rapture and the second coming of Christ, where we're in, in, the, in heaven. And at that point in time, probably that's what I understand. And I could be wrong, but hey, that's what I understand. If you disagree, you disagree. But there's going to be a judgment for believers called the Day of Judgment or the Bema Seat, right? And then there's going to be a judgment at the end, later, a judgment of unbelievers. That's called the White Throne Judgment. And that judgment happens at the end of a thousand-year millennial reign. Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second judgment for all non-believers, all those that rejected Christ, either in this life right now or in that millennial reign 
all those that reject Christ, they will be judged according to their works, and they will be thrown in the lake of fire. The second judgment for the believers, which we will go through as a believer, is called the Bema Seat Judgment. And we went through a great deal of that last week. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message to get more understanding of what the Bema Seat is. Um, but it's recorded in the, in, uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes it to the Corinthians. And I'll just, uh, just do a little quip of it. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. All right? So now we as Christians are going to be judged on our works. We're not being saved by our works. Remember, you're in heaven because you've passed the first judgment, which was your faith in Christ, and that alone. Now that we're in heaven, there is judgment on our works. What did we do that while we were here on earth? Did we do things that are going to last? And again, you can go back and listen to last week's message and previous to that to hear more about that. This is our text coming up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. So this is where we're taking off from today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 through 15. If anyone builds on this foundation, this foundation that we're talking about is the foundation of Christ. Okay, just so you know, we're, we're, we're jumping into this. The foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, which is the Bema Seat Day, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Let's pray. Father, just help us with this verse. Explain this to us. Give us good, in the, uh, good revelation knowledge as to what this means, that we would uh, hear properly and understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So according to this passage, there are some works that a Christian does in this life that are, are, are of eternal value and some that are not. Gold, silver, costly stones, precious stones are eternal. They will survive through a fire. Wood, hay, or straw, you know what happens when you put a match to those. They burn. They don't last. So one category is valuable and permanent, and the other category is relatively useless, worthless, and temporary. And this is where we're picking up on our discussion from last week. The two, so the two basic questions then, the two basic questions that I'm left with that I want to talk about today is, number one, what kinds of works should we be doing? And then number two, how should we be doing them? Two different questions, but both very important. And I want to focus more on the second question, actually. The second question is how or why are we doing them? The, the what's of the works those really are real are really specific to who you are and it's more important that we spend the time on the whys because the what's we can't really take credit for the what's i mean the what's are all about god's ability to give in us anyways the only thing the only way we can do anything is because because god has given us the ability to do it in the first place right so i can't take a lot of credit for what i do 
because God has given me the ability to do it at all. I, I, I can't. It's like your physical features, you know, your face. Some of us may be gifted with a beautiful face. Some of us maybe not so much. But we can't take any credit for that, can we? I can't take any credit for the way I look, and neither can you. But what we are giving judgment over is how we use what we have. <laughs> I can take a beautiful face or an ugly face, and I can use it for the glory of God, so it's not so much what we have or what we do because we can't control the what's in so much of our life. And so God isn't really impressed with what I do because he's more concerned about my why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? So I want to spend more time to talk about the whys because the whys really give us the basis for our eternal rewards. We talked about four different elements or four motivational elements, and last week we got through two of them. We're going to talk about the other two today. But the four motivational elements that I want to talk about into the whys of what we do are number one, number one works done in faith. Works done in faith. Number two, works done in faithfulness. Number three, works done with proper motives. And then number four, works done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember that God is not judging here our basis for our salvation here. Our salvation is entirely on Jesus Christ. This is talking about our reward system that God is perfectly giving in heaven. And... Um, so the, for the first two, works done in faith and works done in faithfulness, I, I, I hit those last week, so you'd have to go back and re-listen to the sermon from that. But I want to spend today, I want to go forward with the proper motives and the works done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I ended last week saying that the rewards will match one's faithfulness in the same way that the loss of rewards will match one's unfaithfulness. The rewards that you will be given in heaven will be appropriate to your level of faithfulness on earth. At the same time, the loss of your rewards will be appropriate to your unfaithfulness. So listen in, and let's learn about what this means. Along with faithfulness comes this issue of perseverance. Perseverance. In other words, how you finish something is very important. And I gave four verses to take home last week, and I wonder if I, I just wonder how many read them and um, went through that. But I want to spend the time today to, to go over them this morning with you because I believe these are important that we recognize how important it is that we finish strong. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. We all have had rocky starts, maybe. Maybe we've had false starts. Maybe we've done a lot of things in life that we're not proud of. Well, you know what? If you accept Jesus Christ for who he is, and if you say, I'm sorry, you know what he's faithful to do? He's faithful to forgive and to release you from your unfaithfulness in your beginning. So thank the Lord for that. So what he's judging us now on is our, our ending. Where are we right now? Where are we tomorrow? Um, so it's not how we start, it's how we finish. So perseverance and and, and, and hanging strong to the end is very important because the devil is working very, very hard to try to discourage you. He's working very hard to try to take you out of the saddle, so to speak. He's trying very hard to try to get you to quit. And can I tell you that don't quit? Hang in there no matter what's going on, no matter if it's a, 
a blessing in life or a curse in life. Hang in there. Don't give up. And I want to send, I want to read these passages. I want us to read them together today that we can understand that Jesus is really calling out to everyone to persevere to the end. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. This is out of the Living Bible Translation. And if we think that our present service for him is hard, just remember that someday we are going to sit with him and rule with him. Who is that? That's with Christ. But if we give up when suffer, when we suffer, and turn against Christ, then he must turn against us. Yeah. There is truth in hanging in there, guys. Hang in there. Second Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight. This is Paul speaking at the end of his life. I love this chapter. I love this whole book, Second Timothy. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. That's for you and I today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what God has been promised. Revelations chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. To the one who is victorious and does what? And does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. So these are just a few key passages in God's Word that give us very important um, realization that we must continue to the end. Don't give up. Hang in there. Persevere. And you'll do well. Number three, the third thing that we are going to continue on in new now, works done with proper motives. We will be rewarded for the works that we do with proper motives. Proper motives are the works that will provide the gold, silver, and precious stones. We kind of touched on this last week when we mentioned that we can do the right things for the wrong reasons. We can do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, and we can lose our reward. It's kind of like we can say the right things in the wrong way and miss the point, can't we? Yeah, it's, it's deeper than just what I say. It's how I say it, why I say it. And this takes good discipline and discernment on our part to be very careful on how and why we do the things that we do. Proper motives are very important. So listen very closely and let's make sure, let's examine our motives for the things that we do. I will say it's hard sometimes to know, my, to know your own heart. It is difficult sometimes to really know, why did I do that? And I will tell you, it's impossible for me to know your heart or for you to know my heart. But I will say that everything that's in our hearts will be laid bare. What I'm struggling to understand in my own heart will be laid bare. What's in your heart will be laid bare at the judgment seat. What's not seeable today will be open for all to see later. So be careful then how and why 
you're doing what you're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. The Living, uh, Living Bible Translation says this. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether someone is a good servant or not. When the Lord comes, he will turn on the light so that everyone can see exactly what each one of us is really like deep down in our hearts. Then everyone will know why we have been doing the Lord's work. At that time, God will give to each one whatever praise is coming to him. Now, if that doesn't put a little fear, a little trepidation in your heart, I'm not sure what will. But right now, what I can hide in my heart will someday be exposed. God will see it, and so will those that are closest to me. They'll see my true motives. Was I doing something to gain something? Was I doing something to manipulate people? Was I doing something so that I could look good? Or was I doing something truly to honor God? See, everything in our heart will be exposed. Everything. Our motives, our thoughts, our attitudes. The Bema Seat judgment will evaluate everything about me. So I need to be very careful. So if that's the case, then what kind of motives should we have? Were you thinking that? Jackie has said this many times in her worship. And she says something that's to be taken very seriously and not just um, easily or lightly. But she says that when she leads worship, that she is leading for an audience of one. Yeah. That doesn't mean that she's not concerned about how we're singing. It doesn't mean she's not concerned about us. But what that means is her attitude in leading worship is that I'm here to please the Lord. I'm here to lead praise and worship just if it's for Jesus. If Jesus was sitting in this place, I want to honor him, I want to glorify him, and I want to make sure that he knows that what I'm doing is for him, not for me or for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's a major motivation to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. So whether, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. Do it all for the glory of God. Now, when that's the prime motivation of a person's heart, then nothing else matters. The size of the crowd doesn't matter. How many people are here doesn't matter. The distraction of who's singing or who's not singing doesn't matter. Even if we miss a note. I had to chuckle today because you missed that note just for the sermon. You did, Jack. You did. I chuckled. I chuckled. Because when when you messed up, it was, you know, you messed up. I mean, let's admit it, you did. But it, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> but it wasn't bad. It was, it was intended to give a sermon illustration. So I chuckled. I said, great. She messed up because I can use this in a sermon now. Because it wasn't about how good she did it. It was because she was doing it for the Lord. It was because she was, she was worshiping the Lord with all she had. And you know what? And we can make a mistake. And we can miss a note. And you can blow it too. Because we all blow it. But when we're doing it with an attitude and of, of, I'm doing it for an audience of one, then it doesn't make any difference because he's looking at my heart. You see, we look on the outside and we look on all we can see and, and we're measuring people by what they do and how good they look and how good they are. But Jesus is looking past that. He's looking into the heart. He's saying, why are you doing it? The alternative is that I'm doing it to glorify myself. I'm doing it to show people how spiritual I am, 
how good I am, how good of a prayer I am, how spiritual, how, how generous, whatever it is. And if I do it that way, it results in pride and arrogance. And what does the Lord say about proud people? Proverbs 16.5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. If there's pride anywhere in my heart, not only will I lose a reward, but that proudness or that pride may keep me out of the first judgment. It may not even allow me to get into heaven because God says there will be no proud people in heaven. Pride is that sin that is so detestable to the Lord. That's the sin that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven in the first place. That's how important pride is. So surrender it, slay it, submit to it, and do everything as best you can for the cause of Christ, not for myself or not for yourself. It doesn't make any difference what you're doing. It can be ministry-related or secular. You work for your job, in your job, with the mindset that we are working to please and honor God rather, to our, rather than to our own credit. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. He is faithful. So when we work to impress men, understand that we are not going to impress God. If we are working to impress men, we are not going to impress God. So just keep in the back of your mind at all times, ask yourself these questions. Am I doing what I'm doing to the best of my ability, first of all? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it to be seen by men? Am I doing this to impress people? To make a name for myself. Here's a really big one. Would I still be doing what I'm doing even if no one saw me doing it? Would I still be doing it if no one saw me do it? Would I still do it? <laughs> you know, I, the example, I, you see a piece of paper on the sidewalk and you think, man, I should pick up that piece of paper and throw it in that trash can right there. And, and so, but then you think, well, if I pick it up and throw it in the trash can, nobody will know that it was there over there in the first place. And if I walk over it, it's not my problem. I didn't drop it. Somebody else dropped it. So the dilemma is, do I pick it up and throw it in the trash can and nobody's going to know that I did it because it was, there's no evidence it was ever there in the first place. So what do you do? Do you do the right thing when nobody sees? Are you doing it for the right reason? Are you doing it because you think somebody driving by might see me pick up that piece of paper and think I'm a good citizen? Or do I just do it because it's the right thing to do because it's litter and I need to pick it up and throw it in the garbage? What's your heart? What's your motivation? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not wrong to work hard and it's not wrong to be acknowledged for it. If somebody says to you, hey, good job. You did a good job today. Jackie did a great job leading worship, even if you blew it. If you don't, no, no you, you did a great job. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. There's nothing wrong with, with being acknowledged. And, that, and when you say thank you, that doesn't diminish your rewards in heaven as long as you're continuing to do it for the right reason. So don't put on a false sense of humility and don't say, oh, no, don't thank me, don't thank me. No, say thank you. God gave me the ability to do it in the first place. Thank you. But my heart wasn't for you to say that, but thank you anyways. I appreciate that. So acknowledge men, be polite. Acknowledge them, say thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. 
But then move on. Don't take the credit for yourself. As soon as you start taking credit for yourself, now all of a sudden your rewards start going down. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Here's an example that Jesus gave when it comes to praying. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. See, in this example, the hypocrites or the person praying to be seen by others, two bad things happen. Number one, their prayers aren't heard by God because they're praying to impress men. So number one, their prayers aren't even being heard by God because they're not praying in the right context. Number two, they've lost all the reward. They're losing the effectiveness of God of praying, and secondly, they're losing their reward in the end. So it's a double whammy. So when you pray, go into your closet, pray, or even in public. You can pray out loud. It's not a problem. But when you pray out loud, make sure you're praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. Make sure that you're praying with the right intention, that truly that you are doing it to, first of all, help the person, and secondly, that you're to honor God. There's more to be said there, but let's move on. Number four, works done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are other works that are going to be rewarded. Works done in faith, works done in faithfulness, works done with proper motives, and now works done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to John chapter 15. This is about a great example about the power of staying in the vine or connected John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God has gifted us all with physical giftings. We all can do things because God has given us the ability to do things. But that doesn't mean that I'm always doing the things by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can get up and preach. Max can teach. Jackie can lead singing. Tom can play his guitar. All without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do it on our own because God's gifted us with the ability to do things. But there's no multiplication happening if we're doing things on our own flesh. If we're doing things on our own ability, then we're, we've taken the power away from that. We may sound good, we may have an impact, but not the impact that truly lives. See, if you take a branch, we all know that if you, if you take a branch that's fully alive and healthy and you break it from a tree, that branch will continue to look good for a while. I mean, the leaves are still going to look green, they're going to look healthy, and everything looks fine for a while, even, if it's, even after it's been broken from the tree. That's what it's like when I'm operating in my flesh. But, it was, but it's not long before that vine or that branch or those leaves on, the, on that branch begin to wither up and dry up. Why? Because there's no life in them anymore. Because the life-giving sustenance from that tree has been, it's, it's no longer feeding into that branch, into that vine, into those leaves and giving it life. And so for a while it looks good. 
But yet, without, the, without re- remaining in the vine, without remaining in the branch connected to the tree trunk with life-giving um, juices and fluids flowing through it, everything will dry up. And that's exactly what's happening here. That we need to stay connected to the power of the Holy Spirit at all times so that we are operating under His influence and we're avoiding any way we can our own fleshly desires to operate outside of that. Does that make sense? Do you see how we can apply that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The Living Bible translation says it this way. We dare to say these good things about ourselves only because of our great trust in God through Christ, that he will help us to be true to what we say and not because we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success comes from God. That's how what we do and what we say can become powerful is when we stay connected to the vine and the Holy Spirit is speaking through us. And that power is powerful. Amen? Here's a story I want to illustrate as we get ready to close up. That this is how, um, if we work with integrity and if we work with faithfulness to the Lord, this is how, an example of how we can or cannot be rewarded. Let me read this little story. There's a story about a wealthy man who called one of his employees in and told him that he was leaving the country for a year and that while he was gone, he wanted his worker to build him a new house. He told him to build it well, spare no expense. He would pay all the bills for the materials and a labor. So after the employer left, the worker decided that it was foolish for him to work so hard and spend so much. So he started cutting corners and squandering the money he saved by his, by his cuts. When the wealthy man returned, he asked his employee, Are you satisfied with the house? When the worker assured him that he was, the employer said, Good, because the house is yours. You can live in it for the rest of your life. How do you think the man felt then? Yeah. How do you think he felt then about his cutting corners and his squandering of the money? See, that's what it's going to be like, guys, when we get to heaven. That's what it's going to be like. God's going to say, hey, what'd you do? What'd you do in your life? I've got great rewards for you. But if we're, if we're found a squanderer, a cheater, we cut corners, who's living in the house? <laughs> it's our reward, not his. I'm the one that's going to suffer for that, not him. So it's important then that we make sure that we use the things of this world to make sure that we found, that we're found faithful with gold, silver, and precious stones. Do the things that are eternal. Things that are wood, hay, and straw, they're going to burn up in the fire and you're going to lose the rewards. And here, here's the deal, guys. We're sending it ahead. We're sending it ahead. Lay up your treasures in heaven, the Bible says. Lay them up. So let me ask the question, what are you sending ahead right now? What materials are going to be there for you to build your house on? Or what's God using to build his, your house with right now? Is it, is it going to last? Or is it going to burn up? You're in heaven, but you've got eternity of rewards. Don't diminish that. Don't let the devil tell you that's not worth working for. Don't listen to the lies and the distorted truths of the devil that would distort God's word. God says you will be rewarded if you work hard for the eternal things of life. 
And here's the beautiful part of it. If they're eternal, you know what they're doing right now? They're helping people. That's heavenly effective through earthly relevance. You're helping people. You're doing better for people down here. You're serving people down here. Those costly stones, those gold and silver things, they're the things that are making people down here closer to Christ. You're leading people to Jesus. Yeah, it's all good. It's good on both sides. So, Jackie, are you ready to come? You're not going to blow it, are you? <laughs> Jackie, I'm so sorry. I'm just messing with you. You know I am. <laughs> I just want to spend this last minute, first of all, apologizing to Jackie. note that I missed. I missed the entire course. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It's pretty big. <laughs> I know. But Tom, Tom tried to bail you out. He did. He did. He totally I know. bailed me out. Yeah. See, I know. <laughs> you, can, you can preach on that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about the writer Paul. The last verse I want to read tonight, today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Now recognize who's writing this. Paul the Apostle. Paul wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. No more faithful man found than Paul, in my opinion. And this is Paul's thoughts. He says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul is concerned about his motives. Paul is concerned that he's written, didn't know what he was doing, but he was writing the Bible, preached to others, and he's saying, oh God, I don't want to disqualify disqualify myself from the prize. Because if I get an attitude about how good I am or what I've done, all of a sudden my prize goes away. And Paul is beating his body, and he's taking himself under submission And he's saying, I don't want to, after I preach and teach all the right things, I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. So this morning, where are we? This is a great reminder for all of us to make sure that we're working with the right heart, working for the right things. And when you do that, you will find yourself so productive in this world. You will find yourself so productive in building this church, building the church, making yourself more attractive at home with your employer. Every place, every part of your life will flourish as you serve them the way Christ would serve them. As you work hard with Christ-like motives. Does this make sense? Isn't this this logical that we would look at life this way? Yeah. So how important it is that we keep doing that? The most important thing we can do. So Go back to the first question. What you do, it really doesn't make any difference what it is. It's not the quantity, it's the quality of what you do. So whatever it is, do it to the best that you can do. With the right heart, with the right attitude, with faith, knowing that you have to, be, you have, to have faith in Christ, in faithfulness, with perseverance to the end, with the proper motive and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you work that way, great will be your rewards. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, that you give us clear direction, 
There is nothing left unsaid here that, that would give us confusion about what we do in this world and how we do it. Father, we just surrender everything to you right now in Jesus' name. We surrender it. And Lord, we lay it bare before you right now because we know in not too long it's going to be laid bare before you anyways. So I just lay my heart before you and I say, Father, examine me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me and lead me in a way of everlasting. Search me now. Lead me now into things that would be eternal. First of all, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the fact that you've saved me and that I am on my way to heaven. And Lord, now I pray that you give me the ability to work according to the power of the Holy Spirit to build for you your kingdom. I thank you so much for your promises. I can't wait. I can't wait to see your face. And I can't wait, Father, to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Oh, what a great day. But Father, until that day comes, give me the ability to work hard. Give me the ability to do the things that are pleasing in your sight. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You want to sing? You want to try? Stand with me if you will. Father, we thank you for the miracles you do in our life. Lord, we thank you for how great you are and all the glory and all the credit goes to you and you alone. Lord, help us. Inspire us today. Fire us up for the kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen.